EscapingTheCave.com, also on the ChristopherMedia.net network, and at ETC Pod on Twitter. Escaping the Cave, and I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. Tonzilla X-Pod. Howdy, Tonzilla Files, and welcome to Escaping the Cave, the Tonzilla X-Pod on the ChristopherMedia.net network, also on Apple Podcasts and all of your favorite podcatchers. I just like saying podcatchers. See, it makes me feel like I'm hip. I'm hip to the tech and with the kids, yo. I'm nothing of the sort. I figured that out last weekend. Hope you're having a good week. It is July the 3rd, the wee hours of the morning, as I typically record these things. Coming up on Independence Day 2019. A big one. A big one coming up in D.C. (laughs) I got a little bit on that coming up here in a couple minutes. Been an interesting week. I intended to get one of these out on Sunday. Sunday or Monday. I was actually slightly to moderately motivated to do one Sunday. Came in, sat down, and um, I don't know what happened. Yeah, I do. That's a big, disgusting lie. I just lied to the listener. If you're ever going to go into radio broadcasting, my friends, A, clear your throat before you go on the mic. And uh, two, don't lie to the listeners unless you're good at it, really, really good at it. Now, I came in and sat down. I I went out of town over the weekend. This is going to tie into the first piece I have here, the digital detox update. I've decided to do one of these pretty much every time I sit down to sort of give myself, I guess, a little bit of accountability, maybe, and also to sort of document the process. Maybe somebody else is going through this trying to pull away from social media and the internet, maybe in general, with the exception of the Escaping the Cave podcast, the Townzilla Expot on the ChristopherMedia.net. See, this is okay. This has been approved. The doc- your doctor knows that this podcast is right for you as you treat your internet dependency. This will help. See, I've talked to your doctor. See, that's another lie. You, you shouldn't do that. Anyway, <laughs> I've decided to do- it's mostly for accountability. And I found that uh, a couple of these podcasts I've done, the Hey Hill Tucky podcast and the, the one that I did last week has really helped. I don't know that I was necessarily doing those for anyone else but myself in order to maybe process some things, get some things uh, you know, out of the brain, into the mouth, and I just purge it, expunge it from the body. And it seems, in a weird way, to have helped. Chris and Rich like to talk about how they use unregimented as sort of a therapy session every week. It was like psychological, like talking to a counselor. They get out and they just talk to each other about these things and then they feel better afterwards. I wonder if there's something to that because after those two episodes, I feel a little bit lighter. Like I've sufficiently processed something packaged it up in a little bow and puked it up like a psychological hairball into my microphone here. Talking helps. Even if you're spitting into a microphone, it does help. It apparently has helped this time anyway. And what happened last week, I decided that uh, I was going to get out of town. I I, I mentioned in one of my other casts that I don't leave the house much. This is what I do. I don't have a lot of peers, believe it or not. I'm a little obsessive, a little compulsive in my behavior, and I tend to dwell on things. 
Getting older, I can't play softball, I can't play basketball, can't do a lot of the things that I used to be able to do physically, so I don't really do much. And I don't have a lot of people who share these interests with me, which is fine. I'm a little different. I'm a little odd. I understand that, not complaining a bit. But it does leave me isolated. And I had an opportunity to get out and go see a friend, <laughs> take an interesting uh, trip down there. I can't really say anything about it. I wish I could. I just wish I could do. <sighs> but I can't. But I had an interesting, let's say, vehicle ride to get to a, a friend's uh, place down around Hiltucky, an old friend of mine. And I went down there. Half to go kind of reconnect with him. And the other half was to actually get in front of people organically. To reestablish some connection to being human instead of being a primarily an avatar. As I've talked about. And it was good. I had a conversation with a guy that I had been... Um, back in my resistance days, in my liberal days, he and I got along really good. Well, we had a lot of the same beliefs, so we like to trash on conservatives a lot and engage in that sort of petty tribalism, as it were. But as I switched, as I moved away from... In fact, this is the guy that inadvertently triggered my excommunication from the Church of Liberal Doctrine. We started to kind of butt heads a little bit. I started to kind of see him as more of a doctrinaire. You know, one of those people where I knew his sect, therefore I could anticipate his argument. And we sat down face to face for the first time in a long time. And in fact, this may have been the longest time uh, that we've spent face to face in at least three years. And it may have been, <laughs> if I'm thinking back on it, it may, in our entire lives. That may have been the longest time we spent together interacting face-to-face -face as human beings. We had some political conversations, and they were good. Because they weren't being done simply in dead text, without context, without social cues, without looking each other in the eye and playing that tennis match of conversation, give and take, give and take, give and take. Where we weren't sitting here maybe simultaneously posting while listening. And what I found was that a lot of my assumptions about him, and I, he may have found the same thing about me, I don't know, were probably insufficient. Let's put it that way. There's a lot more nuance to the guy than I had been giving him credit for. Now, a lot of this may have had to do with the performance nature of social media of crafting your text missives, knowing that people are going to read them other than the intended recipient. So you put on a show. Maybe. Now, I know this happens. There's no maybe to it. I don't think anybody would admit to it. But I know for a fact that a very significant percentage and the motivation for posting certain things on certain sites is to look good. To give the appearance of winning an argument or a debate rather than being right. It's performance art. That's what social media is. So as we sat there, the three of us, having an individual conversation where nobody else was around except for the St. Bernard, we could be a little more open. Have more of a give and take conversation. 
seed points, things like that, without feeling like we're in some sort of a, a virtual cage match. And it was good. I learned some things about him. He's got a lot more nuanced position and viewpoint than I thought he did. But I think a lot of that is because, and again, I'm you know, projecting and speculating a lot here. I didn't ask him directly, and maybe I'm wrong. I fully offer that. But I think a lot of this is that he's got a community that he's part of, a liberal community. So a lot of the things that he could talk to me about, he perhaps couldn't or wouldn't want to in front of maybe the more dogmatic liberals that he's friends with. Or it could be that he was just putting on a show for me. (laughs) I thought about that too. Either way, it was a good conversation, uh, much better than anything that we have had online ever. And they weren't really, I mean, the political stuff didn't last that long. And we had a much better result uh, from just these short little chats that we had. I'm glad that I did it. He and I are (laughs) far better footing than we were a week ago today. I can tell you that, or maybe two weeks ago. And I wonder how much deeper this goes. I'm not wondering too much. I, I have a pretty good idea that if we're leaving our relationships online, and that's the totality of the vast majority of our relationships, which I don't think is the case with most people, but with a lot of people, I wonder. (laughs) I really, especially younger people who don't deal with people face to face as much as maybe we did when we were younger. I wonder how much of that is misrepresentation, how much of that is misinterpreting other people and what they're meaning, you know, projecting your own emotions onto what somebody else is saying, and how much corrosion is resulting from all that. I got a pretty good idea. But it felt good to be disconnected. Now, I don't have Twitter and Facebook on my phone anymore, (laughs) okay? I did not take my computer with me. Uh, My friend did not have, doesn't have a cable package. We didn't sit on the couch watching TV. We drank beer, we sat on his deck, we went driving around, and we talked. That was what we did. I was quite hungover on Friday. (laughs) Didn't enjoy that so much. But the the actual human contact and being in the organic world felt really good. Detached. And I'm not talking about being in the organic world looking down at the phone. Without these apps on there, you're not distracted. You can leave the phone in the pocket. You can leave the phone plugged in and not miss it when you don't have these apps beckoning you into your pocket, wondering what you're missing out on over in the matrix. I think that's a huge, significant part of this. If you are contemplating doing a digital detox, the first thing you should probably do if you have an iPhone or an Android smartphone is get the apps off your phone. Turn the notifications off on your computer. With intentionality, check these feeds. I think that is the very first step because once those apps are off your phone, you're not reactively and reflexively jerking into your phone. With the apps or the, the notifications off of your phone, it's not buzzing at you telling, telling you that somebody's there trying to get your attention or somebody maybe has praised you and it's time to get your dopamine hit. That, I think, is the very, very, very first step to getting a handle on this. And it felt really good, man. It did. Very happy about that, but... On the downside, when I came home, 
Saturday evening. Uh, I started checking the <laughs> download statistics. I started checking over on Twitter and see what Chris had posted up, see, what, see how everything was sort of, you know, integrating, how things had been since I'd been disconnected, and found myself, this is immediate and instantaneous, man, clicking from place to place to place to check progress, to check something. It's a habit. It's like chewing your fingernails. You don't even realize you're doing it, and then all of a sudden you're sucked right back into it. And I think that was the thing that sort of killed the motivation to get on the microphone on Sunday when all of this stuff was fresh. I think it killed the motivation. I think I, I, a part of me wanted to observe it for a few days and see how it affected me, to see how difficult it really was to stay away from this shit, the dopamine drip. It's hard. But I did notice it. I found myself checking Twitter. I found myself getting sucked into stupid things, even with my meager 12 or 13 people that I'm following. I'm noticing that other people that, that, that fucking Twitter will dump people into my feed that I'm not following because a couple of other people are following. Like, I can't get this James Lindsay virus out of my phone. He keeps showing up in my Twitter feed. Because Bo Weingard's following him, Robin's following him, so this stupid app thinks that I might want to know what the fuck James Lindsay has to say, even though I intentionally unfollowed him more than a month ago. Same thing happens with the IDW Weinstein guy. So I had to get rid of more people. <laughs> I am down to a whopping eight people that I am following on Twitter now. Three of those have to do with the podcast network that I'm a part of. And Bo Weingard is about to go. I can feel it. I don't want to get rid of him. I, I like him. I like a lot of what he puts up there. But I'm sick of the retweets. I'm sick of being having these IDW people retweeted into my Twitter feed all the fucking time. I've got more on this coming up. Much more on this. One thing in, in, in particular, specifically and in particular, that really made me realize that that guy is just as bad as any of them. It's propaganda spreading device. And he's as guilty of spreading his echo chamber propaganda as anyone else out there. If I know your sect, I can predict your argument. I can anticipate your argument. I know where you're coming from on everything. I know who you support. So yeah, I've got three podcast people. The network, ChristopherMedia.network. The network and two podcasts, Borgy and Unregimented. Go listen to them. They're great because I've been on them. And I've got uh, Andrew Sullivan still in there. I've got Jonathan Haidt still in there. There's five. And there's three other ones I can't remember. Pretty sure I'm going to be down to four or five by the end of this week. The Facebook thing has completely, almost completely dried up. I find myself uh, still sort of message testing stuff on there. Like, I have a couple of things that I posted the, today and yesterday that are going to find their way into this podcast. I tend to put things up there to try to see if anyone will add challenge if I missed an angle. Typically, it used to work really well with some people, uh, but that, that thing has gone pretty much completely silent at this point. I would like to, you know, have some chats with people still, but it's, it's really good that I'm not spending any, really any time on there. But yeah, it was really good. I felt like I was... 
tiptoeing into the realm of becoming human again uh, last week, end of last week, reintroducing myself to individual nuance, as I said, reminding myself that when people sit down, actually discuss things in person, they usually find more commonality than if they're just poking, you know, very public thoughts, virtue signaling missives and PR statements into their smartphones via dead text. It was good. So there's that. Progress, I think, is being made. And in fact, I may be able to withdraw a little bit more. Got a camping trip coming up this weekend for uh, the 4th of July. That'll be fun. I may have to take the computer to do some editing, though. We'll see. I may just write while I'm up there. (laughs) You may get a torrent of podcasts after two days reading and writing. Anyway, let's move on. It is July 4th, uh, tomorrow, and Donald Trump has decided that he's going to have a big, huge 4th of July celebration in Washington, D.C. He's going to have tanks on display. There's going to be flyovers. And even he, President Cittolini, glorious leader, (laughs) is going to give a big speech. Now, typically, here in the United States, we don't do that kind of thing in D.C., we don't have our presidents going out and, and you know, giving grand speeches on the 4th of July. It's, as a lot of people have said, it's a very apolitical sort of a celebration, right? Uh, it's not something that we use for propaganda purposes and to further an agenda. But Trump's going to do it this year. And, of course, the twitchy anti-Trumpers who are anti-Trump and everything have a huge problem with this. Oh, why are you doing it? It's not really about America. It's about you, Donald Trump. If this was Barack Obama or Bill Clinton, they'd probably be cheering it. It, it. it comes off, the criticism comes off to me as disingenuous. Now, I would understand and I would be completely in agreement with you if we were having a North Korea or old Soviet Union style massive military parade down Pennsylvania Avenue. We can't do that. He's going to have tanks there. They're going to be on display. And people are just, oh my God, we're going to have tanks rolling down Pennsylvania. Well, it would tear up Pennsylvania Avenue. We can't do that. They're going to be static. They're going to be sitting someplace so people can look at them. There may be military hardware rolling down the streets, but it's not going to be anything like the old Soviet Union or North Korea. I think most people understand that. And what's the big deal about the tank thing, man? We've got tanks on display all over the country outside of various institutions. Military installations. We've got them in parks, for Christ's sakes. I've seen them hitchhiking around. We've got little little tanks sitting all over the place. And what's the big deal if we have one in Washington, D.C.? Or three, I guess. However many it is. What's the big deal if they're there for one day on Independence Day this year? Is it really worth the outrage? Or are you just reacting because Trump bad? I don't see what the big fucking deal is here. There's also going to be flyovers. Oh my God, there's going to be flyovers. Oh, oh, it's nationalism. Take a shot at Jameson, Moonbeam. Every time you see a flyover, you got to be paying attention now, but I want you to pay attention and look for every flyover at some MLB game, Major League Baseball game, on uh, Thursday. You're going to see a lot of them. What's the big fucking deal? Why are you so outraged about this? We do it every fucking year. Every stinking year. 
I think every game that I've ever worked in every Major League Baseball stadium, of which there's only two, but both at Tiger Stadium and Coors Field, I think on every 4th of July, there was some kind of frickin' flyover. What is this? What is the outrage about doing it at a National Independence Day celebration in Washington, D.C.? What's your problem with this? Do you really have a philosophical and a moral problem with this, or do you just have a problem with Trump and you want something to complain about? Which is it? I really, honestly, I don't see the big deal. Whatever. I would prefer he didn't do this. I don't like the nationalistic sort of displays on Independence Day, but if we're going to have it, (laughs) Independence Day is the day to do it. That's the day we celebrate our independence and celebrate what it is to be an actual American. If we're going to show off our military hardware, what better day? And it's not that big a deal. And so he's given a damn speech. Big deal. What, are your ears going to melt? Are they going to start bleeding and start running down the side of your face? You're going to have to wipe you know, the ear flesh off your neck with a hanky? What's happening? What does it bother you? You just want something to be pissed off about. This is where people come up with the notion that you have Trump outrage syndrome. Uh, what, what do they call it? Trump derangement syndrome. Where, where would anyone ever get that idea? Uh, calm down. If you don't like it, you don't have to watch it. Go drink some fucking craft beer and organic hot dogs. Yes, I said drink organic hot dogs. You can put it in your new smoothie machine. And suck it through the straw. Then maybe fart later on. It'll add some, uh, some flavor to that intellectual flatulence you've been farting out the last few days. I just don't get it. If you want something to get your panties in a bunch, do it over the military worship as a whole. Especially on the 4th of July. This is peculiar to me. Just intellectually dishonest. Because we didn't have a standing army during the revolution. The founders hated the idea of a standing army. That's the whole well-regulated militia thing, part of the Second Amendment. That was the national defense, us. The founders hated it, man. And our revolution, our very own revolution, the independence on which Independence Day is based, was fought and won, not by an army, but by an organized band of guerrillas. Anyway, if you want to pay homage to our quote-unquote revolutionary heroes, it would be far more accurate to honor the State National Guard or even the Michigan militia than the military as a whole. Our military heroes were not in the Army or the Marines. So chew on that for a little while. Here's a little more uh, unpatrioticness for you. Women's U.S. soccer team beat England yesterday, uh, two to one. They are in the uh, World Cup finals, and I don't care. I do not care about this team at all. I do follow sports. I'm a semi-patriotic kind of guy. I am not rooting for this team. I have been actively rooting very quietly against the women's national team for a couple of weeks now. Ever since they beat what was it, Taiwan? Thailand, whatever, whatever country it was, was like 13 to nothing. They scored 13 goals in a, in a soccer game. 
and they were celebrating like they had just won the world fucking series after the 11th and 12th and 13th goal. There's a thing called sportsmanship, my friends. You don't rub it in. Once you're, if you're playing someone who you're, you've completely outclassed, you have a little class. You don't sit there and jump up and down and have big celebrations when you're kicking the snot out of somebody 13 to nothing. It's just simple, common decency, basic sportsmanship you learn when you're five, or at least you used to. And ever since then, ever since then, I, don't, I, I want this team to lose. I don't know who they're playing. I don't really like soccer <laughs> at all. <laughs> I, I don't follow it all that much. I'm only following this to root against this team. Have some dignity. Have some fucking class, ladies. You're not doing yourselves. You're not doing the country. You're not doing women's sports. A whole hell of a lot of good by acting like you've never been there before. And you have. <sighs> Caught a little bit of the debates last week. <laughs> the presidential cavalcade of candidates on stage those two days, and I'm, I'm not blown away by anything. <laughs> I'm, and right now, I've said this before, it's not going to come as a huge shock to anybody. I'm on the verge of committing myself to voting for Donald Trump next year. Uh, but there's nobody on those stages that did anything for me now. Admittedly, I didn't watch that much. But nobody seemed to set themselves apart from anything. The one thing that stood out to me, and it stood out to a lot of people, was how many candidates on this stage want to give health care to illegal immigrants. And everybody raised their hands. You're all homogenous. You're all pandering to certain elements. They all seem to be repackaging the same bullshit, with a few exceptions. And those few exceptions are coming from people who probably don't have a prayer. Like Andrew Yang, he wants to give everybody $1,000 a month. Sounds good to me. Woo! Good luck with that. You're not going anywhere, my friend. You and Hickenlooper can share, you can share an Uber ride on the way home from your candidacies when they end here in a few months. I am uninspired by Mr. Biden to this point as well. Again, it's early. I may have changed my tune uh, by this time next year when things actually start to matter. Uh, but right now, I don't see anything that is uh, ringing my bell, so to speak. I have been watching a little bit more Fox News lately, just in the afternoons. Uh, because, to be quite honest with you, if you're looking for objectivity, a Fox in the afternoon is no more unobjective than CNN or MSNBC. If you can watch MSNBC and CNN and you can't see the audience targeting, I can't help you. It's no, no worse on Fox than it is on those other networks. And Fox is more entertaining. I was watching, I think, The Five yesterday. And at least they're fun and snarky. I enjoy snark. I, en I enjoy a good dose of snarkdom <laughs> every now and then. I've been watching that, but I can tell you one thing. As I walked around the off-limits camp for a little while yesterday, that socialism thing... It's already starting. I saw commercials that I have never seen because I don't watch Fox News. And they are already using the socialist thing against you. They're in commercial form right now. But these, these advertising agencies, these companies, know what they're doing. They're paid a lot of money to know what they're doing. 
And when you've got a whole crop of uh, Democratic candidates sitting on the stage, who wants to give free health care to illegal immigrants? And every single one of them raised their hand. I don't know if you saw the New York Post cover last week after that, but they took that photo of all those candidates with their hands in the air, and the headline read, Who Wants to Lose This Election? Your biggest enemy is yourselves and this insistence you seem to have on allowing the Republicans to frame you as radical socialists. You're falling right into their hands. Your symbol figure, your icon for the next generation of Democrats is AOC. <laughs> and again, I, I, there's more on this uh, boomerang stuff coming uh, today. In fact, it's coming up real soon. But I'm telling you, if you can't even hold me, if from where I come from, I'm again, I got to say it because <laughs> America, uh, I'm not representative of everyone, but I'm also sure as hell not alone. And if you can't hold me, if you're so distasteful that I will consider, not, not only consider, most likely at this point, vote for Trump after the last couple of years, something wrong. You have a messaging problem. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you really are moving off in that radicalized direction. Which is it? Do you have a messaging problem, or are you really that batshit? I think a lot of you are really that batshit. I'll ask Bingo here in a couple of minutes. Oh, one other update. Wayfair, it's gone. Didn't even take a week. Talked about the Wayfair outrage last week, though, the, the, the boycott. Oh, my God, they're trying to give beds to all these children in cages down on the border. Oh, what an outrage. Wayfair's selling beds to put in these detention centers. Don't sell them beds. It's bad. So you want these kids sleeping on the floor? I don't understand it. You didn't think about your goddamn protests very well, did you? Are you actually protesting a company selling the government beds to put in these detention centers? They're sure as hell not going to release the kids. Oh, they don't have any place to sleep. I guess we'll have to let them go. No, it's not going to work like that. What's your fucking problem? What's your fucking problem? I would have been really impressed had those Wayfair employees, rather than walking out in righteous indignation, righteous advertised and pronounced and proclaimed indignation, I would have been really impressed had they just quit, had they shown real, quote-unquote, solidarity and just quit their fucking jobs, put their money where their activism is. I would have been really impressed with that. As such, I'm not impressed. And it's a week later, Wayfair's not broke. I haven't heard shit about Wayfair in days. It didn't even take a week. It took like three days. And it's gone. Did you change the world? Did your posts on Twitter saying you were going to cancel your orders? Did it scare Wayfair into conforming to your will? Or did they just know better? Did they just know they'd have to ride out this twitch, this spasm, this spastic colon of outrage, spewing some shit into cyberspace for a day or two, and it would all be forgotten? It was predictable. I didn't bother to send my new Twitter friend his uh, message. I chose mercy this time. 
I am merciful on some days, but I did blow him out of my feed. So, sorry, dude. You'll not have the pleasure of my company on the Twitter anymore. You're listening to the Escaping the Cave podcast. I'm on the ChristopherMedia.net network, Apple Podcasts, all your favorite podcatchers, and you can get my uh, website over at EscapingTheCave.com. I want to pimp my other website, too. I've got the old travel archives up still. Heading all the way back to uh, 2008. <laughs> it's up on uh, ToddzillaX.com. Hasn't been updated since, like, 2014. Like I said, it's the archives, but... Uh, if you're interested in that kind of thing, travel stories, some rudimentary political rantings, if you want to see where I came from and how I've changed, <laughs> TonzillaX.com is on there as well. I've been talking a lot about Andrew Sullivan in the last uh, few weeks. I've decided not to go back and read that 7,300-page uh, article he wrote a few years ago. I figure you can go get it. You can find it. My distraction sig- sickness and yours by Andrew Sullivan from 2016, September of 2016. Go find it if you want to. I mean, it's got a lot of great stuff in there. I could easily do an episode on it, and it would be a good one. But I think I need to move on from sort of this, I don't know, personalized experience stuff just a little bit and get into more practical things and how it uh, is affecting us and, and where we're going, I, I guess, on a wider scale. I would highly suggest, still, I would highly suggest reading that article. The internet has a much larger effect on us than I think most of us realize. I think it, it does a lot more to us than we know. And a uh, little awareness is not a bad thing. A little mindfulness of that is not a bad thing. And that article is a really good place to start. But uh, I wanted to talk about something that, uh, something else he put out. Uh, this was last week, probably on the Intelligencer page of the New Yorker. He, he puts out an article every week there. And he wrote an article commenting on how young people, uh, mostly millennials, who considered themselves gay allies, have dropped from something like 65% three years ago in 2016 down to the mid-30s. Young people, their support for gay rights... Their advocacy for gay rights has halved itself in three years. Half as many people, half as many young people now consider themselves allies, gay allies, as three years ago. And this isn't something, this is something that was put out by GLAAD. That's significant. Especially considering how bombarded we are with pro-gay agenda, public relations, slash propaganda. It's everywhere these days. Everywhere. Now, is it especially considering, or is it because of that? Among some of the things I've heard him say in recent days is, uh, and I'm quoting here, if supporting gay rights means supporting the idea that there is no difference between a man and a woman, then people won't support it. Unquote. Well, no shit. He's absolutely right. To sane, rational people who are not choking on zealotry, that rubbish sounds like something preached at Jonestown. And I think it goes further. 
I, I mentioned my sort of detachment and getting out of the house last weekend, right? I had several conversations, both in person and online, over the last week or so, and pretty much heard the exact same thing to a man that I said, rather bluntly and forcefully, admittedly, a few podcasts ago, and not only are people sick of your batshit biological religious-grade fundamentalism, they're quite simply sick of hearing about who you fuck. And they care even less as to why. I'm convinced that you've moved past peak moisture and have entered the toxic saturation zone where you're now doing more damage with the incessant and ceaseless PR slash propaganda campaign than you're doing good. You've moved into self-destruction, self-defeatism. And y'all better duck, because that boomerang has swung around and it's hitting you in the face. And hopefully it doesn't damage the tuck. Also, over the last couple of weeks, I've been picking through a rather uncomfortable and disturbing biography about Alan Berg. Uh, This is the uh, radio host guy from Denver back in the late 70s, mid-80s, who was uh, assassinated by white supremacists. Uh, The movie Talk Radio uh, was based on him, which every radio personality in the country has seen and is terrified of. Creeped out, at least. Anyway, it's dawned on me that Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube are the 21st century what talk radio was to the 1970s and 80s. Except now, everyone has their own station on social media. No one, no one employs a fucking call screener, especially on Twitter. There's no way to moderate the calls, the comments. I'd also say that your followers are your uh, quote-unquote ratings, but at least on Twitter, I've talked about this, most quote-unquote follow each other out of a vain and ridiculously transparent, and apparently unspoken, by the way, attempt to boost their own numbers by poaching from yours. And for most of the rest of the people on Twitter, it's, it's like finding a celebrity's phone number and then calling him, either as a stalkerish fanboy or to scream hateful, unsolicited consultations into their ear and then hang up. But I think the comparison to the 70s and 80s old talk radio shows, I think that holds. It's a place to go rant and rave. I'm telling you, man, democratizing information and media, it was never, ever, ever a good idea. Never. Collectively, people are not interested in discussion or even facts. Primarily, they just want to be heard. You know, trying to sound smart and look good when, in fact, most have little to nothing to offer beyond recycled chum. It's performance art. Virtual performance art. You combine that with the instant global reach, and you have the disinformation and rogue propaganda perfect storm. Look, this is why we had gatekeepers once upon a time. Ties into Howard Lippman. I got a lot more on Lippman coming up. Oh boy. But that's why we had gatekeepers. And that's why they're coming back eventually. People are already seeing the, the, the trend moving that way. It's already begun slightly, but it's coming. That failed technological experiment in utopian and humanist id masturbation, id masturbation and fantasy. It had a good run, 
is coming to an end, and it has to. In contemporary times, via social media, the internet, and all that, propaganda and disinformation has been weaponized, and not only that, it's been monetized. Propaganda has been monetized. It used to be used to sell people things, craft opinion, and sell products. Now the propaganda has become so pervasive and so essential, you want it, you need it, you're in love with the bullshit. You're so in love with the bullshit that they've found a way to monetize it. Not only on the broadcast news networks, the boutique news channels like Fox and MSNBC and, yes, CNN, but this is how Twitter and Facebook thrive. You have to have it. You're addicted to the bullshit. The bullshit is laced with heroin and you love it. Monetized by advertising via clicks, ratings, all that stuff with horrific side effects, man. Again, this is how Twitter and Facebook again, this is how Twitter and Facebook thrive via visceral and emotive manipulation. The net rage trigger mechanism. Look, kids, we're fucked. We are fucked. The only solution here, the only solution to this, if there is one, is unplugging from hyperreality. What's hyperreality, you ask? Well, I found some stuff. Uh, new stuff, actually. New to me. It's not new stuff. But I, it, it's stuff that I had not read before from Nicholas Carr. He has a blog. He doesn't post to Twitter, but he still has a blog up there. Uh, Rough Type is the name of it. You can find it. Uh, and it's, old, it's worth an old-fashioned bookmark. Uh, this guy does not post anywhere. And the only ad I've seen on his blog, and this is great, it's for his own fucking book. There's no advertising there at all. He's not selling your clicks. <laughs> it's refreshing. And one of the things that I found that contained this phrase hyper-reality was a book review he did uh, for something called Media Democratization and the Rise of Trump. Now, that's, that title will sound familiar to you if you're a regular listener of the podcast. <laughs> I have an episode back there. Democratization of Information. Worth a listen, by the way. So that'll sound familiar. But I, I promise you, my podcast was not influenced by Carr. Oh, no. I found this because I went looking for it just over the weekend. And if you're interested in what I've been focusing on this podcast lately, the following paragraph is almost directly parallel to how Jacques Ellul, also Dr. Eli, a guy I talked about in a podcast, uh, Edward Bernays, George Orwell, and others have described propaganda. I'll read this verbatim. The result, several of the contributors to Trump and the media posit, was to push voters of all persuasions away from reasoned judgments and toward emotional reactions, a shift that further served Trump's interests. Gigi Papacherisi, what a great name. Political scientist at the University of Illinois at Chicago argues that the emotionalism of press coverage during the campaign was in keeping with a general trend in American journalism, away from factual reporting and toward effective news. Effective spelled with an A. Stories and snippets that encourage readers and viewers to feel rather than reason their way toward opinions and beliefs. Overheated headlines, constant quote-unquote breaking news bulletins, 
and partisan rants merged into people's social media feeds, provoking visceral responses for providing little in the way of context or perspective. Here's a quote. We get intensity 24-7, but no substance, Papa Cherizi laments. Unquote. Here's another quote. He's talking about a guy named Lanier this time. And he says, Lanier sees social media as a manipulative system that demeans everyone it ensnares. The more information about ourselves we feed into it, the better it gets at steering our thoughts and opinions. Sound familiar? The essential business of a company like Facebook, he argues, is behavior modification. Not only does it harvest incredibly detailed data about individuals' habits and preferences, but it also runs myriad experiences aimed at determining which messages and other stimuli are most likely to grab attention, elicit strong reactions, and trigger compulsive consumption of information. Needless to say, these kinds of sophisticated techniques for psychological engineering are extremely valuable to advertisers that want to sell us goods. They're equally valuable to political operatives, legitimate or otherwise, who want to shape our views. This next part is very important. Because the techniques are hidden from us, the companies treat their algorithms as trade secrets. We are rarely conscious of the ways we are being manipulated. As the software exerts more influence over what we see and how we think, we begin to lose our free will and even our sense of individuality. Unable to think for ourselves, we drift toward tribalism. Giving into one of the more primal forces of human nature, we establish our identity by subscribing to groupthink and pillorying those with different ideas. Moving away from the text here, that is literally the definition and desired effect of propaganda. That last part, literally <laughs> the definition, the desired effect of propaganda. I'm going to read it again. Exerts more influence over what we see and how we think. We begin to lose our free will and even our sense of individuality. Unable to think for ourselves, we drift toward tribalism. Giving into one of the more primal forces of human nature, we establish our identity by subscribing to groupthink and pillorying those with different ideas. This is where I, I thought about turning to George Orwell, Jacques Ellul, Neil Postman. This is the literal definition of propaganda. It is the literal intent of propaganda, creating intellectual beasts of burden, breaking you, breaking the man and turning you into a thought puppet, a broken beast of intellectual burden. That is the goal of propaganda. Stripping all of the individuality out of you. Stripping the original thought out of you. Creating a vacuum to be filled by whoever. That's the goal. I'll continue on. Missing from social media, Lanier suggests are the quote-unquote public spaces of the physical world where the presence of others reveals similarities that transcend differences. That sense of shared humanity, essential to a decent society, is lost when people are reduced to streams of messages and images. Even when we go out into the public spaces these days, Linear observes, we are often gazing at our screens, not our 
surroundings. As I mentioned earlier, I recognize this dissipating in real time as I sat down with some folks over the weekend. As I put the avatar on the shelf and stepped out into the real organic world, unassisted by an LED screen. That is real. I've experienced this multiple times personally. And, and the good thing is, it doesn't take long. Once you set that down, once you get the apps off the phone, once you leave the phone in the, in, I don't know, plugged into the living room or in the bedroom, take your laptop, set it up in another room as a desktop so it's not sitting right there in front of you. So you have to intentionally get up to go look at your computer, to go look at your phone, to seek out with effort these social media streams and actively and mindfully put yourself in front of other people, put other people, other organic people in front of you and have real interactive conversations. It happens quickly. And it moves beyond that. It moves into electronic media as well. When you're not being bombarded by propaganda all the time, turn the fucking TV off. Turn the music on. Watch HBO. Watch movies. If you need some sort of electronic distraction, turn the news off. Leave Twitter and Facebook shut down if you're inundated and bombarded and, and drowning in political content, social content. And then when you come back after a few days, or in my case, a week, or, I don't know, three months, you'll realize, you'll be able to see it because you've been resensitized. You're back to normal now. You're not being bombarded constantly. And then you can actually see and understand just how much you're being bombarded on a daily basis. You're not aware of it right now. You're used to it. I promise you, disconnect for one week. Only listen to my podcast for one week or only watch HBO, or only watch Netflix. Turn all of this other crap off. Get rid of all the advertising that you can. Anything that's advertising-based. Get rid of social media one week. Don't have any political conversations with anyone unless you're looking them in the face. Detox for one week. And then come back to it like you're doing today. And look at the barrage. Watch how it hits you in the face. Now, when that happens, you're going to slide right back into the routine. Hold on to that initial feeling. Understand it. Remember it. Because you will. It's going to be like crack. It's going to be like heroin. Oh, here it is again. Yeah. But I'll bet you, a lot of you are going to find that anxiety returns, the constant anger, agitation, that's what it's tied to. Whereas you may have spent a week actually liking people, suddenly you'll find yourself within an hour or two disgusted with everybody again. It's happened to me more than once. It's happened to me on multiple occasions. With the Latin America trips that I've taken and not having access to media, not having access to Wi-Fi constantly, especially up in the Andes, where there was no internet, no TV, no phone, no nothing, you come back to this after that, and holy shit. That hitchhiking trip in 2017, I was only gone a week, man. A week. I walked into that truck stop, had the Today Show on, I'm yelling at the damn television, it's so annoying. That's why, because I had resensitized myself to it. And it hit me with full force. 
The detox works. It doesn't take long at all. The ability to concentrate. A lot of, a lot of folks can't read books anymore. Because they're so used to bouncing from place to place to place place on their phone or their computer that they cannot sit down and actually get into a book. You can fix that. It takes effort. And you've got to fight through the frustration of wanting to, you know, move on to something else, looking for a keyboard, looking for an LED screen. You've got to fight through that. But you can do it, and it does not take all that long to do it. Your brain remembers how to concentrate. You did that a hell of a lot longer, especially if you're my age. You did that a hell of a lot longer than you've been online. Younger people, you may have a problem here. Because your brains may have developed. Especially if you're in your 20s. Your brain may have developed a lot differently than ours did. It may take a lot more work for you. I'm no doctor. I'm not a neuroscientist. I don't know that for sure. People our age, we know what this is like. We can remember it, I think, a lot, maybe a lot easier. But this is the one nugget of hope that I can give you. It's like, it's like any other addiction. And once you fight through it, it gets easier. And in this case, it's not like smoking, and it's not like heroin. You will remember. You'll remember what it's like to be able to read a book. You remember what life was like before all of this. It does work. But I'm going to tell you, it's almost impossible to hold on to it in this day and age. Because everybody's online. I mean, everything is done online now. We stay in touch online. Our, our 30th uh, class reunions this year. How are we organizing it? Not by phone. Not by mailer. Nope. Facebook. The political debate. It's, yeah, we just had two debates last week. Do you think that that's where the discussion is? Do you think that's where the discussion that's happening that's going to shape this next election? Do you think that's where it's taking place? Now it's happening on Twitter and Facebook. Primarily. People aren't sitting around talking about issues. Not face-to-face. Not too much. Not nearly as much. I, I shouldn't say that. Maybe a lot of people are. But there are more people that are doing this on the Internet. That's why Russia targeted Facebook. Uh, they put a lot of effort into that. They're still putting a lot of effort into it. Probably Twitter, too. They're not doing it for their health. They know it works. They know what it is. They know how to manipulate you. They know how to manipulate you better than you know how to protect yourself. Anyway, that's the message of hope I can give you from personal experience. I can say this. That it's surprisingly easy to reconnect maybe those hmm, detached synapses. And become human again. That's what it really boils down to, isn't it? Becoming a fully functioning organic human being rather than a cyborg. And putting the avatar up on the shelf. And maybe just turning it off. It can be done. It ain't going to be easy. Because everything is based on this. Understand that. But also understand that there is a degree of hope. I literally got through <laughs> about half of what I was going to do. I have this uh, big thing on uh, Andy no. NGO. I don't know how to say his damn last name. Uh, he was attacked by Antifa. 
in uh, Portland over the weekend. I got a lot on this. I'm going to have another podcast this week. I got to get this done before I take off. So <laughs> it may be your lucky week or your unlucky week. However you all look at it. Anyway, Escaping the Gay Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for clicking in. ChristopherMedia.net. Go check out the other shows over there. Make sure you're subscribed to Apple Podcasts or any of those other podcatchers. EscapingTheCave.com is my website if you want more material. And you can also check out TonzillaX.com. Good stuff in there. A lot of pictures. Some great stories. Check out the God Bikers one from 2008. North Carolina in August. It's long. Grab a Twinkie. I'm dancing to this music, Ryan. Your music's awesome. Woo! Look for a podcast soon. Thanks for clicking in. Until next time, so long. <laughs>